Chapter Four of Dodo Wonders by E. F. Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Crow Girl. Chapter Four, Jumbo. Dodo had always firmly believed that boredom was by far the most fruitful cause of fatigue, and since she herself was hardly ever bored, she attributed to that the fact that she was practically indefatigable. Her immunity from boredom was not due to the fact that she, like the great majority of the women of her world, steadily and strenuously avoided anything that was likely to bore her. It was that she brought so intense and lively an interest to whatever she happened to be doing, that her occupation, of whatever kind it might be, became a mental refreshment. Last night, for instance, at dinner she had sat next Lord Cookham at a mournful and pompous banquet, an experience which was apt to prostrate the strongest with an acute attack of nervous depression, but the only effect it had on Dodo was to make her study with the most eager curiosity how it was possible that any one could be so profound a prig, and yet not burst or burn with a blue flame. He spoke in polished and rounded periods, always adapting his conversation to the inferior intellect of his audience, and it was impossible to hold discussion or argument with him, for if you disagreed with any of his dicta, he smiled with withering indulgence, and reminded you that he had devoted constant study to that particular point. Naturally, if he had done that, it was certain that he had come to the correct conclusion, and there was no more to be said except by him, which he proceeded to do. This table conversation, moreover, could have been set up into type without any corrections, for he believed, probably with perfect correctness, that everybody except himself made occasional grammatical slips either in speaking or writing, and he winced if you used the expression under these circumstances instead of in. He had never married, having been unable to find a wife of sufficiently fine intellectual calibre. But so far from irritating Dodo, this prodigious creature merely fascinated her, and when, after dinner, he took his place in the centre of the hearthrug, and recounted to the entire company the talk he had had with the Minister of Antiquities in Athens, and the advice he had given him with regard to the preservation of the sculpture on the Parthenon, Dodo felt that she could have listened for ever in the ecstatic attempt to realise the full complacency of that miraculous mind. Thoroughly refreshed, but slightly intoxicated by that intellectual treat, she had gone to a party at the Foreign Office, followed by a ball, and was out again riding in the park with David at eight. She came back a little before ten, and found her husband morosely breakfasting in the sitting-room with his back to the window. "'Good morning, darling,' she said. "'It's the divinest day, and you ought to have come out, instead of sleeping off your cucumitis.' There was a blue haze over everything, like the bloom on a plum, and a water-cart came down Park Lane just as we got out of the gate, so we followed it for half a mile, going very slowly behind it, because it smelt so good. Jack, I am sure Cookham was like that when he was born. He could never have learned to be so marvellous. He probably told his nurse in Greek how to wash and dress him before he could talk. Now, don't say that he couldn't speak Greek before he could talk, because my suggestion contains an essential truth in spite of its apparent impossibility. You must believe it, because it's impossible, as St. Augustine said. Dodo poured herself out some tea. I got home at a quarter to four, she said, and I was called at a quarter to eight, and I was out by eight, and I shall have my bath after breakfast. What happened to your prayers? asked Jack. "'Forgot them, you old darling. How delicious of you to ask. "'When I say them, I shall pray that you will be less grumpy in the morning. "'What an unholy lot of letters there are for me. 
I like a lot of letters, really. It shows there were a quantity of people thinking about me yesterday. When I don't get a lot, I think of the time when I shall be dead, and nobody will write to me any more. Or will they write dead letters? The dead letter office sounds as if it was for that. Oh, here's one from Lord Cookham in that dreadful, neat handwriting which leaves no room for conjecture. Why couldn't he say what he had to say last night? Oh, it's something official, and he, being what he is, wouldn't talk officially at a private house. What beautiful correctness! Dodo turned over the page. Well, of all the pieces of impertinences, she said, Jack, listen, he is commanded to ask whether I will give a ball for the Maharaja of Bareilly. That's not impertinent, said Jack. No, dear, don't interrupt. But he suggests that I should send the proposed list of my guests to him for purposes of revision and addition. Did you ever hear anything like that? Dodo read on and gave a shrill scream. And that's not all, she shouted. He suggests that I should send him the choice of three dates about the middle of July, and he will then inform me in due course which will be the most convenient. Is the man mad? There aren't three dates about the middle of July, and if there were, I wouldn't send him them. What are you going to say? asked Jack. I shall say that I happen to have no vacant dates about the middle of July, but that I am giving a ball on the 16th and that I shall be delighted to ask his Indian friend, who may come to dinner first, if I can find room for him. About my list of guests, I shall say that I should no more dream of sending it to him for revision and addition than I should send it to my scullery maid, and that if my friends aren't good enough for her Maharaja, he may go and dance with his own. My guests to be revised by Lord Cookham, additions to be made by him. Isn't he quite priceless? Completely. Mind you don't ask him. "'Certainly I shan't. The soup gets cold when Cookham comes to dine. Also, as Prince Albert says, when he comes in at the door, gaiety flies out of the window.' Jack took up the morning paper. "'The only news seems to be that he and the princess have come up to town,' he observed. "'They are to stay with your daddy a few days, and then their address will be at the Ritz.' "'Daddy will love that,' said Dodo, recovering her geniality. "'Jam for Daddy. They'll like it, too, because it will save a few more days of hotel bills.' What a happy family! Jack turned back onto the middle page of the Times. He usually began rather further on, where there were cricket matches and short paragraphs, in order to reawaken his interest in the affairs of the day. Hello, he said. What a horrible thing! Dodo had not noticed that he had left the cricket page. Has Nottinghamshire got out leg before? she asked vaguely. No, but the Archduke Ferdinand and his wife have been murdered at Sarajevo. Dodo rapidly considered whether this made any difference to her, and decided that it did not matter as much as the letter she was reading. "'I don't think I've ever heard of him,' she said. "'And where's Sarajevo?' "'In Servia, or one of those places,' said Jack. "'The Archduke was the heir to the Austrian throne.' Dodo put down her letter. "'Oh, poor man,' she said. "'How horrid to be killed if you were going to be an emperor. "'What makes you frown, Jack? Did you know him?' "'No, but there is always trouble in those states.' Some day the trouble will spread. Dodo gathered up her letters. Trouble will now spread for Baron Cookham, she remarked. I think I shall telephone to him. He hates being telephoned to like a common person. May I listen? asked Jack. Do, darling, and suggest insults in a low voice. Dodo sent a message that Lord Cookham was required in person at the degrading instrument, and having secured his presence, talked in her best telephone voice, slow and calm, and clear-cut. "'Good morning,' she said. "'I have received your letter. 
Yes, isn't it a lovely day? I have been riding. No, not writing. Riding. Horse. About your letter. I am giving a ball on the 16th of July, and I shall be delighted to ask your friend. Of course, I shan't give another ball for him, but if the 16th will do, there we are. And what a delicious joke of yours about my sending you a list of my guests. I think I shall ask for a list of the guests when I go to a dance. A lovely idea. Dodo paused a moment, listening. I don't see the slightest difference, she said, and I can't give you a choice of days because I haven't got one to give you. She paused again and hastily put her hand over the receiver. Jack, he wants to come and talk to me about it, she whispered, her voice quivering with amusement. Then it resumed its firm telephone tone. Yes, certainly, she cried. I shall be in for the next half hour. After that, let me see, about the same time tomorrow morning. You'll come at once, then? Au revoir. Dodo replaced the instrument and bubbled with laughter. Oh, my dear, what fun, she said. I adore studying him. I shall get a real glimpse into his mind this morning, and if he annoys me as he did in his letter about the list, he shall get a glimpse into mine. He will probably be very much astonished with what it contains. It was not long before Lord Cookham arrived. He was pink and large and sleek, and could not possibly be mistaken for anybody else except some eminently respectable butler, in whose care the wine and silver were perfectly safe. Dodo had not quite finished breakfast when he was announced, and proceeded with it. "'So good of you to come and see me at such short notice,' she said. "'Do smoke.' He waved away the cigarettes she offered him, and produced a gold case with a coronet on it. "'With your leave, Lady Chesterford,' he said, "'I will have one of my own.' do said dodo cordially and light it with one of your own matches now about my dance he cleared his throat exactly as if he was about to make a speech <clears throat> the suggestion that his highness should come to a ball given by you he said originated with myself such an entertainment could not fail to give pleasure to him nor his presence fail to honour you his visit to this country is to be regarded as that of a foreign monarch and in the present unhappy state of unrest in India, it will be nice for him to get away for a little quiet, suggested Dodo. Lord Cookham bowed, precisely as a butler bows when a guest presents him on Monday morning with a smaller token of gratitude than he had anticipated. In the present unhappy state of unrest in India, he resumed, it is important that the most rigid etiquette should be observed towards his highness, and that he should see, accompanied by every exhibition of magnificence, not only the might and power of England, but all that is most characteristic and splendid in the life of English subjects and citizens. I will wear what Jack calls the family fender, said Dodo. Tiara, you know, so tall that you couldn't fall into the fire if you put it on the hearthrug. Lord Cookham bowed again. Exactly, he said. The fame of the Chesterford diamonds is worldwide, and you have supplied a wholly apposite illustration of what I am attempting to point out. But it is not only in material splendor, Lady Chesterford, that I desire to produce a magnificent impression on our honored visitor. I want him to mix with all that is stateliest in birth, in intellect, in aristocracy of all kinds, of science, of art of industrial preeminence, of politics, of public service. 
It was with this idea in my mind that your name occurred to me as being the most capable among all our London hostesses of bringing together such an assembly as will be perfectly characteristic of all that is most splendid in the social life of our nation. These well-balanced and handsome expressions did not deceive Dodo for a moment. She rightly interpreted them as being an amiable doxology which should introduce the subject of the revision of her list of guests. She could not help interjecting a remark or two any more than a highly charged siphon can help sizzling a little, but she was confident, now that Lord Cookham was well afloat, that her remarks would not hamper the majestic movement of his incredible eloquence. "'Daddy will do for industrial preeminence,' she said, though perhaps you would hardly call him stately. Lord Cookham waved his smooth white hand in assent. "'I see already,' he said, "'that our list is not likely to cause us much trouble.' Mr. Vane's name occurred to me at once, apart from his felicity in being your father, for he stands preeminent among our masters of industry, as an example of one who has amassed a princely fortune by wholly admirable methods, and is as princely in his public generosity as in the lavishness of his private hospitality. Your father, in fact, Lady Chesterford, is typical of the aristocracy of industry, sprung from the very dregs I should say from the very heart of democracy, he has risen to a position attained by few of those who have been the architects of their own fortunes. Among such, you can be of inestimable assistance to me in making this gathering truly representative. You are in touch in a way that I cannot hope to be, in spite of my earnest endeavours to make myself acquainted with our country's industrial pioneers, with the princes of manufacture, and while it shall be my task, in conjunction, of course, with you, to secure the presence of the most representative among our Deveres and Plantagenets, you will be invaluable in suggesting the names of those who, by their industry, capital, and powers of organization, have in no less degree than our hereditary aristocracy helped to establish on sure foundations the power of England." This ball of yours is to be like some great naval or military demonstration designed to set forth the wealth and the might of our country. In the present state of unrest in India, from which, as you so rightly observe, our guest is fortunate in securing a holiday, it must be his holiday task, if I may adopt the phraseology of youth, to weigh and appreciate the power that claims his fidelity." We have no more loyal prince in India than he, and what he shall see on his visit here must confirm and strengthen that. Busy though I am this morning, indeed I am always busy, I was well aware that I could not spend a half-hour more profitably than in coming personally to see you. It would have been difficult to convey all this to you so unerringly on the telephone. Dodo's mouth had long ago fallen wide open in sheer astonishment. She had shut it again for a moment in order to avoid laughing at the mention of Daddy as having sprung from the dregs of the people, but immediately afterwards it had fallen open again and so remained, as she drank in the superb periods. They soaked in quickly, like water on parched soil. He paused for only a moment. "'It is in this sense that I have alluded to the honour done to you,' he resumed, "'by my tentative selection of you as hostess "'in what I am sure will constitute the culminating impression on the Maharaja's mind. "'You will be for that evening the representative of England herself. "'Let us next consider the question of date, "'if, as I take it, you are at one with me on the topic of the list of your guests.' 
now though you as hostess will have gathered together this amazing assembly and will therefore be the queen of them all the more dynastic representatives of england will i have reason to hope honour you with their presence in unique numbers the date you propose namely the sixteenth of july may i hope be found suitable but i should like to be in a position to submit other dates in case it is not shall we therefore temporarily fix on that night or one of the two following this was getting down to business and dodo pulled herself together we will fix on nothing of the sort she said my ball is on the sixteenth and do you know to speak quite frankly i don't care two pins whether your maharaja comes or not in spite of my humble origin i have entertained scores of maharajas last year half a dozen of them were foisted on to me i have given you some slight sketch of a unique occasion he reminded her i know you have i enjoyed it enormously but my ball is on the sixteenth you don't seem to understand that yet and if it doesn't suit anybody he needn't come lord cookham took a memorandum book from his pocket i have of course been entrusted with all arrangements for his visit he said and i see i have fixed nothing for the sixteenth very well fix it now said dodo and let us go back to the question of the list of guests there is no such question let me tell you i am asking my own guests i shall be delighted to see the maharaja you must tell me something about him in a minute and any other of those whom just now you called the dynastic representatives of england i love having kings and queens and princes at my house because we are all such snobs aren't we but i believe that this notion of my submitting my list to you is your own idea you weren't commanded to do anything of the sort were you he drew himself up slightly my conduct in this as in all other such matters he said has been dictated by my sense of the duties of my position same here said dodo i am the hostess and i shall do just as i please about my ball now i'm not going to have it stuffed up with scarecrows a dozen fossilized plantagenets spoil all the fun for yards round they look down their noses and wonder who other people are of course there are plenty of plantagenets who are ducks they'll be here all right but if the angel gabriel said he wanted to make additions to my ball i would pull out all his wing feathers sooner than allow him worse than that would be the thought of allowing you or him or anybody to cut out the name of any friend of mine because he wasn't fit to meet a maharaja all my friends are perfectly fit to meet anybody so my dear you may put that into your own cigarette and smoke it probably lord cookham had never been so surprised so wantonly outraged in his feelings since the unhappy day when he had been birched at eton for telling lies which subsequently proved to be true just as on that tragic occasion his youthful sense of his own integrity had rendered it impossible for him to conceive that the headmaster should lift up his hand against his defencelessness so now even as dodo's tongue dared to lash him with these stinging remarks he could hardly believe that it was indeed he who was being treated in so condign a manner and she had not finished yet apparently on her side dodo had quite unexpectedly to herself lost her temper it was a thing extremely rare with her but when she did lose it she lost it with enthusiastic completeness up till a few minutes ago she had been vastly entertained by the glorious speeches of this master prig viewing him objectively and licking her lips at his gorgeousness but then as swiftly as by the turning of a screw she viewed him subjectively and gazed no more at his gorgeousness but felt his impenetrable insolence she proceeded i appear to astonish you she said and it is a very good thing for you to be astonished for once 
You must remember that I am sprung, as you said, from the dregs of the people, and when you go away and think over what I am telling you, you may console yourself by saying that a fishwife has been bawling at you. Now who the devil are you to order me about and invite my guests for me? Are you giving this ball, or am I? If you, ask your guests yourself, and don't ask me. Try to get together a wonderful and historic gathering for your Maharaja on the night of the 16th, and see who comes to you to make history, and who comes to me. What you wanted to do was to patronize me, and make yourself master of the ceremonies, and allow me to have this old Indian for my guest as a great favor. Who is this Maharaja of Bareilly, anyway, that for the sake of getting him into my house I should submit to your insufferable airs? Who is he? After the first awful shock was over, Lord Cookham conducted himself, even as he had done on that occasion at Eton, with the perfect calm that distinguished him. He appeared quite unconscious of the outrage committed on him, and answered Dodo's direct question in his usual manner. As a youth he was sent to Oxford, he said, where I had the honour of being a contemporary of his. I had been asked, in fact, to put him in the way of knowing interesting people, and directing his mind, by example rather than precept, towards serious study. I was asked, in fact, to look after him, and influence him in the way one young man can influence another, slightly his junior. After leaving Oxford he spent several years in England, and was quite well known, I believe, in certain sections of London society. Personally I rather lost sight of him, for he went in for sport, and in fact a rather more frivolous mode of life than suited me. Pray do not think I blame him in any way for that. He succeeded to his principality only a few weeks ago, on the death of his father. Dodo had stood up during her impassioned harangue, but now she sat down again. All her anger died out of her face, and her eyes grew wide with the dawning of a stupendous idea. It can't possibly be that you're talking about Jumbo, she asked. That, I believe, was the nickname given him at one time, said Lord Cookham, in allusion to the... Dodo put both her elbows on the table and went off into peals of inexplicable laughter. She rocked backwards and forwards in her chair, and the tears streamed from her eyes. For a long time she was perfectly incapable of speech, for at every effort to control her mouth into the shape necessary for articulate utterance, it broke away again. Oh, oh, I must stop laughing, she gasped. Oh, it hurts. My ribs ache. It's agony. What am I to do but Jumbo? All this fuss about Jumbo. Jumbo was one of my oldest friends. How could I guess that he had become the Maharaja of Bareilly? Oh, Lord Cookham, I apologize for all I've said, and for all I've laughed, it's too silly for anything. But why didn't you say it was Jumbo at once instead of being so pomp? Uh, no, I don't mean that. I don't know what I mean. Dodo collected herself, wiped her eyes, drank a little tea, choked in the middle, and eventually pulled herself together. Jumbo, she said faintly, is it possible that you never knew that Jumbo used to be absolutely at my feet? I suppose that belonged to the time when he was frivolous and you lost sight of him. My dear, he used to send me large pearls, which I was obliged to send back to him, and then he sent them again. What they cost in registered parcel post baffles conjecture. What's his address? I must write to him at once. He would think it too odd for words if I gave a dance and didn't ask him. I wonder he has not been to see me already. When did he get to London? "'Last night only,' said Lord Cookham. "'He's staying at—' At that moment the telephone bell rang. "'I believe in miracles,' said Dodo, rushing to it. "'Yes, who is it?' she said. "'You're talking to Lady Chesterford.' There was a second's pause, and the miracle came off. 
Jumbo darling, she said, how delicious of you to ring me up on your very first morning. I should have been furious if you hadn't. Oddly enough, I've been talking about you for the last hour without knowing it, because you've been and gone and changed your name to Bareilly. What? Yes, of course, my dear. Come round in half an hour, and I'll take you out, and you shall write your name wherever you please, and then you'll come back and have lunch with me. What a swell you've become. Where's Bareilly? I don't believe you know. Shall I have to curtsy when I see you? This evening? No, dear, I can't dine with you this evening, because I'm engaged, and I never throw anybody over. Yes, afterwards, if you like. Alhambra? Yes, take a box there, and I'll come on there as soon as ever I can. We'll make more plans when we meet. Oh, by the way, put down at once that you're dining with me on the 16th, and I've got a ball afterwards in honor of you. What? Dodo glanced at Lord Cookham. Yes, Lord Cookham has told me that he hasn't made any engagements for you that night, she said. He'll put it down in his book, so there won't be any mistake. What? Dodo paused a moment, gave a little gasp, and spoke in a great hurry. "'Yes, Lord Cookham is here with me now,' she said. "'In this very room, I mean, close by me. "'Do you want to speak to him?' "'All right, then. "'Now I shall rush and have my bath, and then I'll be ready for you. "'Jumbo, don't be frivolous. I'm not alone. "'Hush.' "'During this remarkable conversation, "'Lord Cookham's long practice in dignity and self-possession "'had enabled him to appear quite unconscious "'that anything was going on.' By the expression on his face, he might have been sitting on the slopes of Hymetus, contemplating the distant view of the Acropolis, and hearing only the hum of the classical bees. So detached did he seem from anything that Dodo happened to be saying to the telephone. Being without the sense of humour, especially where he himself was concerned, and being also pleasantly encased in the armour of his own importance, it actually did not occur to him as possible that he was being spoken about from the other end of the telephone with anything but the deepest respect. Perhaps the instrument was not working well. That was why Dodo had said so very plainly that he was sitting in the room with her. She put the receiver back on its hook, tried to be grave, and once more broke down. "'I must send you away,' she said, "'because I'm beginning to laugh again, and I must have my bath. "'And it's all settled quite satisfactorily, isn't it? "'Oh, dear me, what a funny morning we're having!' Dodo made a heroic effort with herself, and gave a loud croak as she swallowed the laughter that was beginning to make her mouth twitch again. Lord Cookham disregarded that, even as he had disregarded the telephone, but though he would never have admitted, either to himself or others, that Dodo had failed in respect to him, some faint inkling that she had done so must have percolated into his inner consciousness, for when he spoke he permitted himself to speak, with irony his deadliest and most terrific punishment for those who had been impertinent to him. When he addressed anyone with irony, he supposed that their souls popped and shriveled up like leaves cast into a furnace. "'Good-bye, Lady Chesterford,' he said. "'Your instructions to me, then, are that His Highness will dine with you and go to your dance on the 16th. I will have the honour of conveying them to the proper quarter.' He did not look at her as he spoke, but addressed the air about a foot above her head. For a moment's silence, in which, no doubt, her soul shriveled, his austere gaze remained there. When she answered him, her voice trembled so much that he felt he had been almost unnecessarily severe. "'Yes, that's it,' she said. "'What a nice talk we've had. Delicious of you to have spared me half an hour.' She went out into the hall with him. Even as her footman opened the door for his exit, a motor drew up and a huge and gorgeous figure stepped out. She saw Lord Cookham bow low, hat in hand, and next moment Jumbo caught sight of her and bounded up the steps into her house. 
"'My dear, what fun!' she said. "'How are you, Jumbo? "'You're ever so welcome, though I did tell you to come in half an hour and not three minutes. "'Oh, it's all been too killing. "'I'll tell you every word as soon as I'm ready. "'Go into my room and wait. "'I'm ever so glad to see you.' "'Dodo was an admirable mimic. "'Jumbo, rolling about on the sofa, almost fancied he was back at Oxford again, "'being influenced by Lord Cookham.' End of chapter four. Recording by Crow Girl, redcrowblog.wordpress.com.